0: want to take the opportunity to remind you of what's coming in the week ahead as we uh lean into holy week Uh, our second wednesday has been uh, we've been calling people who are willing to join us in fasting and prayer uh, if you're unable to fast from food you can choose something else and as you go without it the impulses for that which you're longing for can drive us to prayer uh, to pray for god to move not only in your life and situations in your life to, pray, to but to move in situations within our community uh, even within our world and so we're challenging you this wednesday uh, to co- continue to do that to fast and to pray with us on the second wednesday but instead of gathering here we won't gather here Uh, We want you to take time during the evening, Uh, sometime when you're home from work, sometime when you have a break, and maybe drive around your subdivision. If it's nice weather, walk around your subdivision. Uh, or, or, or drive around your county roads, but pray over your neighbors that they would come to follow Jesus, that they would come to, to know him, uh, that, that, that you would have an opportunity to even share him with them. And if you have time and you wanna come up, you can come to our church, park in the parking lot, again, if the weather permits, walk around or stay out there and pray over what will happen here on Good Friday uh, in our Easter services on Saturday at 4.30 and then on Sunday at 9 and at 10.30. I'm looking forward to what's coming. Uh, We do have that Good Friday service, seven o'clock on Friday, we just have one. It'll be 30, 35 minutes long, and it's more of an experience to be in together just to reflect on on all that Jesus went through. I think sometimes uh, we sit in this position where we we know that the tomb is empty. Uh, We get to experience the joy of the resurrection every day, and sometimes we just kind of blitz past uh, the sacrifice on the cross, not intentionally, and it's important if we have time like on a good Friday just to spend some moments reflecting about the weight of what Jesus did uh, for us and, and and what that means for us let's pray God I thank you I thank you for the chance to worship with your people and, and God, I just pray that uh, you would help us um, that you would help us see you and experience you and a remarkable way today, um, for those, Father, that are unable to make it and they're they're watching from home or work, God, for those that are here, I just pray that you would move, that as we look at some of your words from the cross, uh, words birthed in agony, that, that we would learn and that we would come to see your your love for us, but also the call to live for you and like you that come out of those words. Uh, God, I pray that uh, your words would penetrate deep within and you would draw us to yourself uh, over the next several minutes. And it's in your name we pray, amen. Empathy. Uh, maybe you've heard empathy and sympathy. What, what is empathy? Empathy is identifying with the experiences uh, of another person. Uh, Or more simply, empathy is feeling with someone. Uh, That compares to sympathy, which is more feeling for someone. Sympathy has more distance. I see the hurts of another, I I see their broken heart, I, I hear their breakup story, I hear their story of tragedy, and I think to myself, wow, that must be horrible. And maybe I even express that to them, I and mean, what you're going through must be really bad. Empathy moves us closer. E- empathy is choosing to say or try to even understand. Maybe even from experiences, you can relate. You have felt what those people are feeling in some way. And empathy, feeling with people, instead of just feeling for people, has the power to heal. Maybe you've experienced empathy when you've been a part of a group, a group that shares some things in common. Maybe it's a support group. Uh, I think of uh, divorce care or grief care, uh, grief share. I think of celebrate recovery. I think of, of MOPS. Uh, when mothers of preschoolers get together, there's often a lot of empathy because here are mothers who are going through similar trials. They're, they're worn out. They don't know what it's like to have a private moment. They don't even get the bathroom to themselves because there's a two or three-year-old kind of racing through. And as they share those experiences around the table or over coffee, there's this sense of, wow, you, you get me. And there's this feeling with aspect. Uh, Maybe if you have been a part of a group because uh, a son or a daughter or a husband or wife has served in the military and they've been deployed, there are support groups for that. Or maybe uh, your loved one is in law enforcement and so you're in this group, this kind of order of these spouses of law enforcement officers and there's some shared experiences that you get to have. You you, you can experience empathy. Maybe it's not a formal group. Maybe there's just a group of people you have some common experiences with. Uh, I meet with a group of pastors on Thursday morning And nearly every Thursday, we gather together to pray. And while we pray for God to make disciples in our community, some of the things that happen in our group is we pray for each other and we share about hardships we've experienced. And because we're all pastors, we're all ministers, there are are ways that we can feel with each other that sometimes others aren't able to do with us. And it's powerful. If you're not part of a group, formal or informal, you likely have relatives, uh, you have friends, that you can call, that you can meet with, that you can share a meal with. And you know the power when someone listens and they feel with you. There's a really neat animated short on YouTube um, by a woman who's kind of a, I don't know if you call her an authority, uh, but a leading voice uh, on empathy right now, Brene Brown. And if you just go to YouTube and you search, what is empathy, it's gonna be one of the top hits. It's this little short, uh, two minute and 30, 40 second uh, clip, and I prefer you don't watch that right now while I'm talking, but you can watch that uh, later. And, uh, and in it, it, it's this animated film that, that shows these animals, and one of the animals falls into a hole, and the animal expresses uh, their feelings uh, I'm stuck. It's, it's dark. I'm overwhelmed. And uh, a goat peeks into the hole and says, Wow. That looks really bad down there, that's sympathy. But a bear climbs down the ladder and says, I've been here, I'm here now, and you're not alone. And that's a picture of empathy. Uh, one psychologist wrote about empathy, and they said the empathy is experienced in three ways. There's cognitive empathy, and that's more this desire to understand what someone is going through. There's an emotional empathy that's, that's trying to truly feel what someone else is feeling. And then there's this deeper level of empathy, which is uh, compassionate empathy. And that's not only trying to understand and to feel what someone's feeling, but actually to come to their aid because of what you felt and what you understand. Now, some of you love hearing about empathy. Others of you are like, why on earth, Craig, are you talking to me about empathy? The words that we're going to see from Jesus on the cross, the words that we're going to read from Jesus on the cross this morning, they're an expression of anguish from Jesus. But they're also an invitation to see how our God, who entered human flesh, can empathize with us. He can feel with us. He can, he can not just feel for us. Oh, look at those sinners. They've, they've made a bunch of mistakes. But no, he feels with us. He can identify with our experiences. And there is power to heal and that God would enter into our suffering. Really, the incarnation itself is a picture of the empathy that God has. Now, it's not just a picture of empathy. The God would enter human flesh and experience what we experience is far more than just an expression of empathy, but it is an invitation to consider the empathy that God has for us. The words that we're gonna look at this morning are found in John chapter 19. We've been in John 19. In fact, a few weeks ago, we were here. We don't know the exact order of the statements that Jesus made from the cross. Uh, we've already looked at, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Uh, we've looked at his words to the thief, uh, today you'll be with me in paradise. Uh, we've looked at Jesus' words here in John 19, uh, verse 26 and 27, where he looks to his mom and he makes provision for her. He sees her pain, he arranges for her care, and it's this beautiful invitation to see the compassion of Christ. Last week, we looked at his words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And today, we turn our attention to three more words from Jesus on the cross that are found in John 19, verse 28. Here's how John begins to tell the story. He says, later... Now, we don't know how much later. We we don't know if this is um, an hour later or a few hours later. What we know about Jesus on the cross is he was on the cross for approximately six hours. So Jesus is there for about six hours. We know that about three hours in, this this sign of divine judgment, this darkness covers the earth. Now, did Jesus make provision for his mother prior to that darkness, during that darkness? We don't know. What we do know is that towards the end of that darkness, before Jesus breathes his last, he says these words. Probably two to three hours after Jesus provided for his mother, he speaks. It says, later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled. We'll come back to those two statements later. So later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and that scripture could, would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, and so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. And then what follows is we see Jesus receiving it. And then Jesus begins to share his final words. John tells us, he says, it is finished. Luke adds the statement, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And those are the final two sayings of Jesus from the cross. But what precedes them are these three words. I am thirsty. And those three words, as simple as they are, act as this powerful invitation to consider the suffering of Jesus, I think, in a new way. Now we we've heard stories, many of us, our whole lives about a Jesus who was flogged, a Jesus who was scourged. And maybe you've read the, the, the scientific reporting of what scourging did to the human body or maybe you've read those essays on what the suffering on the cross would be like. Maybe maybe you've looked and you've seen pictures of crowns of thorns or you've, you've read about the suffocation that happens on the cross and what it's like to have wrists or hands pierced with nails. And, and we, we read those things and they cause us to pause and, and we even ourselves maybe sit in a position of sympathy and we we feel for Jesus, but, but I don't think anyone in this room has ever been crucified. I don't think anyone in this room has ever watched someone be crucified. I don't think anyone in this room has ever had thorns shoved into their brow or been scourged. And so while we see the anguish and we appreciate the anguish of Jesus, we still stand at some distance not knowing fully what that suffering must have been like. But now we have these three words, I am thirsty. I would bet that everyone in this room has at some point experienced thirst. I was drawn back to this this week is, I just heard that devastating report of the, the retired Indiana couple who was hauling their RV through, they driving their RV through the Nevada wilderness and heard the reports of the woman who was trying to care for her husband as he was dying and how thirsty they were. G- Jesus knew thirst and that invites us to relate to him in a different way and it helps us see how he can even relate to experiences that we know. If you've ever been near someone as they die, you know that often, thirst is something that overcomes them. There's a reason why in hospital rooms all across America, hospital beds over here at Witham, in hospice rooms where nightstands are nearby if it's in someone's home, or there's a, a table nearby if it's in a facility, why there are often cups with water and these sticks with sponges on them. And some of you in this room, I've been with you in these moments, have had the, what I would consider almost a sacred privilege to quench the thirst of the dying. Uh, One of the things I get to experience as a minister is I get invited into people's uh, parts of their life that are just vulnerable and raw and I think, again, a privilege. And I've given families breaks while they need to take a moment to step outside. And and I've even touched the water-filled sponge to the lips of the dying, and there's something powerful about that. And as we think about it, it invites us to see the vulnerability, the dependence of Jesus in that moment. I think if we're honest, that's hard for us. We, we, we tend to think of Jesus as, as being uh, super, superhuman, right? We, we live in our age of Marvel and DC, and I don't know if you're a Marvel fan or a DC fan. I'm more of a Marvel fan because they seem to be a little bit lighter versus the darker things, and I just don't like dark things, maybe because I'm a coward, I don't know. But we see all these displays of superheroes and superhumans on screen, I think we have a tendency to think of Jesus As being superhuman. Uh, There's even a song that we sang when I was in youth ministry that was Jesus is my superhero. And I know the sentiment of the song, and and I I sang it proudly that that he can swoop down and rescue me. But we have to be careful that in thinking of Jesus and what he's done for us, that we don't fail to see the, the suffering that he went through. Jesus says, I am thirsty. The great I am. The the one who who would tell the religious leaders that before Abraham was, I am. Uh, The one who was with God, revealing himself to Moses in the desert, now has zipped himself in human flesh. And the, the great I am says, I am thirsty. And there's power in that to bring healing one of the bloggers that I was reading this week on empathy wrote about how empathy has the power to heal, and that Jesus has entered into suffering that you and I can 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 relate to helps us see how He even has the power to heal us. But again, it's difficult. There was a whole movement uh, in the in the first and second century called Docetism that was meant to diminish the humanity of Jesus. It was just so difficult to look at Jesus and see that that he suffered like we did. And I think these three words invite us into that suffering in a unique way. Uh, Paul, Paul tells us how Jesus let go of the advantages of deity. Philippians chapter two. He has this powerful hymn that he shares to the Philippians. The words are even magnified. I don't have time to go into it because Paul's writing these from prison. Paul is in chains as he writes this letter and yet he's highlighting the example of Jesus He says in verse five, and I don't have this verse for you on the screen, but it says in your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And here's this powerful hymn about Jesus and what he did. Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He didn't grasp it. He didn't didn't hold on to the advantages of deity. But rather, he made himself nothing. He emptied himself of those privileges and took the very nature of a servant, was made in human likeness. And now being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. Became obedient to death, susceptible to death, susceptible to thirst, death on a cross. Jesus emptied himself. I am thirsty. He's able to relate to us. Again, it's hard for us to grasp. We, we, we stand here on, 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 or I stand here, you're sitting there, on, on Palm Sunday, and we, we, we think about uh, the, the triumphal entry uh, Sean talked about. I mean, people waving palm branches. Chances are that in one of our children's environments in our building, there's some craft that has to do with palm branches today. And those palm branches were were, were waved for him. Cloaks were thrown in front of him in honors, declaring that that he was the rescuing king. There was this expression of they were depending upon Jesus to come and deliver them, to to rescue them. Like, Like he was their king. And yet, as we listen to Jesus on the cross, five days later, the praise of the people has been transformed into the cries of the crucified. The one they were depending upon now depends upon those who hung him on that tree to lift a sponge to his lips. John begins his gospel with these words. The word became flesh. The, 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 the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh and he made his dwelling among us. And, and in some ways we think about Jesus, the word, this, this, this logos, this, 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 um, this presence of God who's coming forth and he enters human flesh and, and that sounds in some ways so dignified. Like God comes in, he zips himself in human flesh. Because we watch Jesus' life, we realize... What that means is he's susceptible to the suffering that human beings experience. And we see the the fullness of that anguish here in this moment where the word become flesh, thirsts and is parched and he suffers. Jesus says, "I, I am thirsty. So we see Jesus suffering, and again, I think these words invite us in as simple as they are, and again, the, the, the anguish of thirst is not to be compared with the anguish of, of scourging or, or thorns or, or hanging on a cross, but I think we can relate to them in a unique way. And we, so we see Jesus suffering, suffering that we can identify, how he can identify with us in our suffering. And we go back to John 19, 28, we see that there are two related thoughts to the suffering Jesus is experiencing. First, it says, knowing that everything had now been fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. Jesus' words expressing his thirst, Jesus' words expressing his suffering come knowing that everything had now been finished. That word finished occurs I think six times in the Gospel of John. Um, It means this idea of completion or full maturity. It's the picture that accompanies a fruit on a vine or a tree that has grown to the place where it is as full and mature as it will get. It is ready to be picked. It's, it's, Its growth is complete. Its time is done. It says that Knowing that everything had now been finished, everything had come to its completion, the, the moment had arrived, Jesus said, I am thirsty. Jesus expresses his suffering even as he has remained faithful to the will of God to the very end. So Jesus is faithful to the will of God even as he suffers and experiences difficulty. This is the second statement. And so that scripture would be fulfilled. So so Jesus says, I am thirsty, knowing that everything had now been finished. And Jesus says, I am thirsty so that scripture would be fulfilled. Jesus, in part, experiences thirst and expresses that thirst as an act of obedience to God. He's committed to obeying God to the very end, even when it hurts him, even when there's hardship. Now, we don't know exactly which verses Jesus has in mind that he's fulfilling. Some have said, well, they're the words of Psalm 22. Jesus on the cross, looking at the other gospels, is already called from Psalm 22. That's where the words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me come from? As you continue on in Psalm 22, and I shared this with you last week, that there are, are several things. It talks about people gambling for clothes and his garments. And it could be that he had Psalm 22 in mind, because here's the words of verse 15, Psalm 22. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd, a dry piece of pottery, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death, it, it speaks of a thirst. Recently I visited an older gentleman in the hospital, and as I and another one of our ministers was there to see him and to pray with him, his mouth was so dry he could barely form words, and it could be that this is what Jesus has in mind. Others have said, no, it's probably not Psalm 22, it's, it's Psalm 63. Hear the words of Psalm 63, verse 1. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. If you're looking for me to give you an answer, what words Jesus has in mind, I can't give that to you. We don't know. Maybe it's Psalm 22. Maybe it's Psalm 63. Maybe it's another psalm. Maybe he's thinking of of David's words as the deer pants for water, so my soul longs for you. We just don't know. But what we do know is that Jesus sees his suffering and his thirst and his willingness to endure that as an act of obedience. He's doing this to fulfill scripture. So looking at the first statement, so I'm not losing you, knowing that everything had now been finished, knowing that everything had been completed, he says, I am thirsty. So Jesus says, faithful to complete what God has called him to, to fulfill his purpose, even in hardship. Jesus remains obedient to God and his word, even in hardship. So these words, I am thirsty, that show us Jesus' suffering, show us that he suffers while remaining faithful to God's will and remaining obedient. Jesus suffers as you and I suffer. He's able to empathize with us. And in case you're wondering why we use the word empathy, maybe you don't think that's a biblical phrase, I'd encourage you to read the words of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4. Verse 15, after sharing with us in verse 14, the writer of this Hebrew letter tells us that Jesus, the son of God, is the high priest that we've been waiting for. He says this in verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. He says, we do not have a high priest who is unable. What does that mean? That our high priest is able to empathize. He's able to feel with us in our weaknesses. And so it's important that we see Jesus here on the cross expressing his thirst, that he's experienced the suffering that you and I have. He can feel with us. He can identify with our experiences. And even he was able to remain faithful to the will of God. And even he was able to be obedient to God's commands. And yet you and I live in a world, we live in a world where people are abandoning the faith, left and right. People are leaving Christianity. They're they're no longer prioritizing worshiping him. They're no longer prioritizing a traditional interpretation, a historical interpretation of the word of God. And they're compromising their lives and their behaviors. And some of us are among those. And really, all of us are among those. And yet, we have Jesus who can empathize with us. Jesus who endured and stayed faithful even in suffering. Jesus who obeyed even in suffering. And so, we call out to the church in America and we say, Will we be faithful? Will we suffer? Will we endure hardship? Will we endure difficulty? Will we go through the calamity and the difficulty of life? And will we remain faithful to our God and not abandon him for something that's more convenient or something that culture says is okay? Will we stay with him to the end? Will we obey him even when it's hard? Will we obey his word? even when it doesn't tickle our ears. You can read study after study and you see that we just heard yesterday in a strategic planning session we were going through with a a leader from the south side of Indianapolis that prior to COVID-19, committed Christians considered faithful attendance to the church as going about 1.7 times per month. And after COVID, it's diminished even more. We live in a world where we treat worshiping with the body of Christ. Worshiping with his people, something that the faithful have done throughout centuries as just another extracurricular activity that if we don't have something better to do, we'll do. And I think God calls us and says, will you be faithful? Will you be faithful even in hardship? Will you be faithful to my word? Will you obey me even when things are hard? Will you continue to, to choose to pursue my desires for how you speak and how you spend money and how you express and view your sexuality? Or will you conform to what the world says? Will you stay faithful? And if you're tempted to feel that this is beating up on you, the goal is not that. The goal is to bring conviction through the power of his spirit, not through my words, but for you to see that our Jesus can empathize with us. He, he saw us stuck in the dark hole of our sin. He saw how, how, how miserable and overwhelmed humanity was. And he chose not to stand at a distance and say, wow, that must suck down there but instead entered in and climbed down the ladder into our darkness to say, I'm here and you are not alone. I suffered with you. I endured as you have to and I call you to and I was obedient to my father. As we look to him, we can do the same. The power of these support groups, whether it's mops or a grief share, a divorce care or uh, you know, spouses of law enforcement officers or my pastor's group, is that there are times when we are hurting and because someone can feel with us, it gives us the courage and the strength to continue on. Our Jesus' empathy should encourage us and give us the strength to stand for him and to stand with him even when so much else is going away, to be faithful to the end? Will we? Will we allow the empathy of Jesus, the power to heal our lives? Will we allow his his suffering? Will we turn to him and believe in him and in faith not just believe but confess him as our Lord and our King? And Will will that faith turn us, people have our hearts turned in repentance towards his way? Will we we be buried with him in baptism? Will we we follow him? And will we continue to learn from him and look to our lives and say, God, what, what in my life still needs to be submitted to you? How do I be faithful? How do I endure how do I obey? Because as we follow King Jesus, he's always revealing and always shaping and always carving and always crafting. There's three simple words, I am thirsty. The fall on the other side of having completed the Father's will and remaining obedient to the end call us as people not just to see the compassionate empathy of Jesus, but to be encouraged in boldness to follow him faithfully. And I'm pretty sure that the thirst that Jesus had wasn't just for the wine vinegar that the soldiers offered. It was the thirst for going to meet with his father and all things being made new. And the longings that we have that we fill with substitutes in our world are are never going to be satisfied by the things of this world. They're only going to be satisfied by the one who made us and formed us and fashioned us in his image. We are thirsty. We are thirsty for him. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you for these three simple words. And Father, I pray that through the power of your spirit, you would bring the conviction that we need God, for those who have followed you and have wandered from you, those who have experienced hardship and have turned from living faithfully or ignored your commands to live in disobedience, would you encourage them and call them back? Would they repent and return to your way knowing that you endured and that you empathize with them? God, for the brokenhearted, for those in hardship now. May they feel the strength that comes from knowing that you are with them. You're with them in their hurt. You're with them in their fears. And you can show them the way through because you've been there. God, help us and lead us and guide us and convict us and draw us into your life that we might shine like the stars in the heavens, amen.